Hello and welcome to another lockdown edition of Order Order, Mail Plus Radio's politics podcast. With me, Simon Walters, Assistant Editor of the Daily Mail. And with me, Amanda Platel, Daily Mail columnist from my house in North London, again. Coming up, yes, the Chinese do want to rule the world, and it is time Britain stood up to them. That is a stark view of former Deputy Prime Minister Damien Green. China is not the benign economic partner that maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago it was possible to think it would grow into. It just hasn't, and we need to change our policy. Rishi Sunak's mini-budget was designed to kickstart the conked-out Covid economy. The Chancellor, sounding more like Sunak the Socialist than Rishi the rich banker he once was, insists it all adds up. So today we act with a plan for jobs. Our plan has a clear goal, to protect, support and create jobs. It will give businesses the confidence to retain and hire, to create jobs in every part of our country, to give young people a better start, to give people everywhere the opportunity of a fresh start. But Labour shadow Chancellor Annalise Dodds isn't so sure. Today, Britain should have had a back-to-work budget, but instead, we got this summer statement with many of the big decisions put off until later, as the benches opposite know full well. And we chew over the really big political issue this week, not coronavirus, but cheese. Yes, you heard that right, cheese. Mm. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify, or leave us a review. And email us at any time at orderorder at mailplus.co.uk. This week, vital new facts and figures emerged concerning Rishi Sunak. For example, he has a tea flask that costs £180. The figures in his mini-budget, however, were slightly higher. Billions to be spent on jobs and other measures to get the economy out of lockdown. But who exactly is he? Amanda, is Rishi your kind of dishy? No, Simon, he leaves me cold. He's like a plate of cold porridge about that appetising. I just don't get it. I think he looks like a cross between John Redwood and Spock from Star Trek. And he looks really geeky and he's really skinny. And I'm sure he's got a fantastic brain. He's a really nice guy and all the rest of it, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, casting him as some sort of sex symbol. God, you're a more likely sex symbol than he is. (laughs) <laughs> really? Well, I, I think an apology may be due to Rishi Sunak there. But there was some fascinating background information um, emerged on it. And we had to bear in mind, no one had ever heard of Rishi Sunak until six months ago. Now he's more or less considered almost a shoe in as an ex-prime minister by some. And there was a great piece in Tatler magazine this week about Rishi's background. I mean, we know something about his, um, his Indian grandparents who lived in a little village in northern India. His father-in-law, Narayana Murti, is a billionaire in India and could probably pay for um, his son-in-law's two billion pound jobs project today out of his small change. But there was some other great stuff about Rishi, how when he got married to his wife, they had a, they had a party at the Southampton curry house where Rishi used to work as a teenage waiter in his hometown of Southampton and how even as a schoolboy aged about 16 he wrote an article in the school magazine in 1997 the year Tony Blair came to power Rishi said then that Tony Blair was not a true patriot because he wanted to take Britain into a Euro super state so he's a Brexiteer just like you Amanda all <laughs> <to> go. 
<laughs> yeah, I've always been a Brexiteer. But it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that I'm quite suspicious of these um, young guys who are highly intelligent, who peak too soon. Um, because, of course, he not only has shares that with William Hague, he's got his seat as well. Yes, yeah, so that is a remarkable coincidence. They, but they're both these sort of um, child prodigy young Tories. And, and amazingly, uh, Rishi inherited William Hague's seat in Richmond. But you work for William Hague. What worries you about the fact that there, is, there are those slight similarities? I think the most important thing is that, uh, you know, I love William. I think he's a great guy, highly intelligent, all the rest of it. Love working for him. But he is geeky and there's no amount of um, spinning that can de-geek a geek. And, and they just, you know, in the modern age when we're, you know, come on, we're used to Boris Johnson now. Um, we're used to someone who's very flamboyant and very extravagant and, uh, and, you know, got a great sort of turn of phrase. Rishi ain't that. Um, no, but don't, but, don't, but don't you think in the ear, if we can look forward to the, the, uh, the age after Boris Johnson, that, that people will naturally look for a Conservative leader who is not like Boris Johnson and they may want someone who's rather more down-to-earth, practical, dare I say, has a command over details, which Boris is not famous for. And I think the real problem for Rishi is at the moment he's way ahead in the polls. He's above Boris Johnson. But, of course, he's a chancellor who's been spending money like water. And at some point, when he has to get all the money back again, his ratings may go down as, as fast as they've gone up. Well, that's certainly true. And, look, we tried the safe and steady with lots of attention to detail with Theresa May, and look, the ha look how that ended. Um, but he has, look, the great danger for him is, as you say, you know, he's announcing £2 billion he's going to, um, to use for this scheme to get young people back to work because, uh, worst-case scenario, we'll have 10 to 15% unemployed uh, by the end of the year when they come off the furlough schemes, and most of them will be young people. But, you know, mm. it's just, I don't know, Simon, it, it just... I, I wish them well. It's, I think it's a fantastic idea and principle. But as we know from experience, there are lots of jobs out there that young people, especially ones who've been to university, um, they just don't want to do. You know, we're crying out for workers in the care home. Can you imagine young people saying, yeah, I'm going to go and do that for six months? And in fact, it was the best job I ever did, best summer job. Made me realise I never wanted to poach 24 eggs again all at one time in my life. What, you worked in a care home? Yeah. Really? Yeah. What are you doing all what, poaching eggs and wiping people's bottles? <laughs> I, hope, I, hope, I hope you washed your hands in between. Simon, it was, uh, I, yes, I was working in a care home and there's one lovely old lady that mo most of them had dementia. And this woman, she thought that I was Princess Anne, which I thought was pretty insulting. <laughs> but she also, um, she used to help me do the washing up by pouring her, her cold cup of tea into all the sugar balls and then using a skirt to wipe them. You're nothing like Princess Anne because she's always very <laughs> blunt and outspoken and is upsetting people. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. Amanda, I have, a, I have a confession. I have a new political pin-up. My pin-up is Wales First Minister Mark Drayford. It's not really because of his politics. It's because of this. I really like cheese. Uh, and always have. From when I was a tiny child and used to walk up to my grandparents in their farm... One of the things I used to look forward to when I got there was the fact that my grandmother would pass me a piece of cheese to eat. Uh, so, uh, because we're in Wales, and I ought to say, let me say, uh, Caerphilly is a cheese I really like. That crumbly, slightly salty uh, cheese that is Caerphilly. But actually, there's a lot of cheeses uh, I like, and I'll be eating some of it 
over this weekend. Yeah, now I, I share uh, Mark Drayford's love of kefili cheese, crumbly and salty, as he said. <laughs> kefili was where I actually did my first story as a news reporter many, many, many moons ago. But I also share his passion for cheese. I was brought up on ch- uh, cheddar cheese and Branston pickle sandwiches by my dad. Our favourite is Coulommier, which is a French sort of nutty type of brie. But the one, the one that I is my party piece for dinner party is to get a French cheese called Epoisse. Oh, smelly! It's so smelly you can't <laughs> leave it in the fridge. I even put it in the shed once at the bottom of the garden, and I still could smell it in the bedroom. <laughs> Simon, I know about your love of cheese. I've got it. I'm just telling the listeners here and now, you eat it like a piece of cake. You know, it's just, it's like a slab. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes, it's like a slab. And unfortunately, I have turned into a slab as well. Uh-oh. Theresa May's former Deputy Prime Minister, Damien Green, has strong views on two fierce political controversies, China and social care. Damien told me... How Boris Johnson can make sure the elderly are properly looked after while avoiding the dementia tax fiasco that undid Mrs. May. And Damien also says we face a new Cold War. This time, the threat is not from Moscow, it's from Beijing. The question, therefore, is where does that money come from? And and the simplest solution, which is very seductive, but I think wrong, is to say, Put social care into the NHS, make it for the NHS. We all love the NHS. Everything will be sold inside there. I don't think that will work. Uh, I don't think it will work because it will always be the Cirella service inside the NHS. You need to find a way to make sure that everyone of every generation contribute to this. So I've suggested that for, for younger people, maybe you can pay some extra national insurance, uh, specifically hypothecated for a sort of insurance policy for uh, health care at the end of your life or social care at the end of your life. Uh, but for people over the age of 65, uh, they should be encouraged to buy an insurance policy, which the vast bulk of them will pay for out of wealth in their house, and, and that will buy complete peace of mind. They will know they can have, if they need it, the type of social care that they want. And before you do, let me put the disadvantages of this to you. Um, I accept that many people won't use their full insurance policy. So that money will, to an extent, be wasted. But I think just as we all buy house insurance, not because we expect or want to be burgled or have our house burned down, but we know it's a good thing to do. Uh, we all buy car insurance because we have to, even though we don't want to get into accidents. I think if you could buy social care insurance, knowing that big financial worry need never be there, I think the vast majority of people will do that and that will more money into the system. It will be like the pension system where over recent years, the state pension has gone up. So if that keeps you out of poverty uh, and that's an extremely good thing. But the vast majority of people now take out a private pension as well on top of that. And so the amount of actual pension you get uh, in your old age depends partly on the state, but also partly on how you've been able to save. As we have an increasingly aging population, more and more of local council's money will end up going on social care. There won't be anything left for any of the other local services we want. So I think this should be done as a Nash tax. Isn't, isn't there a great danger that whatever proposal you come up with, it, it, it's going to cost people money one way or the other? And, and 
and it will be called the dementia tax, just as your proposal was, and that the governments won't want to commit themselves to doing it because it will simply make them unpopular. And that's the, that's the, the vicious cycle that we've been trapped into for years, isn't it? Uh, well, it won't be for 20 years. The first commission on this was set up in 1998. It's more than 20 years we've been discussing this as a country. It's shameful that we've not come to a conclusion. But yes, if people say... Yeah, the social care system is creeping, uh, and one of the reasons is there's not enough money in it. Then we have to get more money. Now, Damien, you, you've also taken a close interest in the whole issue of um, the, the, the threats posed by China to, to the West. Um, this, isn't this increasingly looking like becoming a new type of Cold War, that in, in, instead of friction with the Soviet Union, we're facing a whole 10 or 20-year period of friction with the new threat from the East coming from China. Yeah, I think that, that is uh, a genuine risk. Um, and it's entirely the choice of the Chinese government. I mean, you've got a long way. You can go back to President Nixon going to China for the first time in the 1970s. And ever since then, the thrust of Western policy has been, let's hug China close. And over that period, China has economically become powerful, become more capitalist started producing goods uh, that we want, so we want to trade with it. But at the same time, it's perfectly clear now that under Xi Jinping, uh, China wants to use its economic power to dominate neighboring countries and, in some ways, to dominate the rest of the world. China has become, or is becoming, an old-fashioned imperialist power. And but do you, do, 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 you do you really think that is their aim, that their aim is to dominate the entire world? Well, when I look at, I'm, I'm told by people uh, who are experts at internal China affairs that what they're really concerned about is, is defending their own boundaries. But all I can say is that they're behaving like that. Uh, if you look at not just what they're doing here, they're picking fights with India, uh, they're picking fights in the South China Sea, they're um, having very, very frustrated relations with, with Australia and Sweden, they're bullying. They're, their big economic program, which is called the Belt and Road Initiative, essentially involves building things in countries in Europe, but particularly in Africa, which they then load with debts to pay them back. Uh, that gives the Chinese an economic stranglehold over many countries. And because you know, we benefit from trade, both sides of trade benefit, we've gone along this. David Cameron and George Osborne wanted a golden era relations with China, and that, that wasn't um, an equitable ambition. But the Chinese are not going to play that game. We have got to reset our whole relations with them uh, in the acceptance that they are acting like an adversary. Uh, they are acting as somebody, they have no desire to play within the international rules that we all more or less adhere to. And unless and until they do that, I'm afraid we will have to reset our relationship. What I am saying is that I want the government to set a, a reasonably near end date after which no new Huawei kit can be put in. That would send very clear sorts of telecoms companies so that as they build up their 5G networks, they wouldn't use Huawei in those networks. So over time, Huawei would disappear from our telecoms networks. And the, 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 there's been reports this week that the Chinese have launched a huge operation to try and groom, was the expression used, to groom the, the British establishment to support a growing involvement of China in British politics and and uh, and business. Um, ha, has anyone tried to groom you from China, Damien? I've, I've, I've never been aware of anyone from China trying to groom me. And I think uh, everyone tries to, to do this, uh, to present this as some kind of 
deep conspiracy. Um, it, it's, it's not very secret. Look at the board. The UK board of Huawei includes former permanent secretaries, a former chairman of C100 companies. Quite a lot of the British establishment are very tied in to China's relations with this country. And it's not very surprising given our, our previous policy. Um, but you know, as, as long as we're aware that those are saying, let's, let's carry on good relations with China, are actually being paid by Chinese companies to say that, that China is not the benign economic partner that maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was possible to think it would grow into. It just hasn't. And we need to change our policy. That's because Damien's got good reason to be interested in this topic, Amanda, because he was Theresa May's deputy at the time when she came out with an ill-fated proposal to try and solve this problem just yeah. before the 2017 election. And, of course, it was immediately called the dementia tax. And it's really what, it's what finished her premiership, really, because she only limped over the line. And Damien spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I must say, I think his proposal, which is... The over 40s pay a small amount on their national insurance, a few quid a week. And then the older people, once you retire, you kind of use the house that you, if you own a house, you use that to buy an insurance policy against the need to go into social care. If you never need it, yes, you've lost that money, but it would raise quite a considerable sum. And it seems to me that's kind of splitting it 50-50 like that is as it's, good a way any through this, through this minefield. Yeah, it's clever, Simon. I mean, it's also clever of him not to allow it to stay in the NHS because then everyone assumes it will be free because everything in the NHS is free. So you can't yeah. put it in there. He's recognising it has to be paid for by individuals, which is a huge leap for Brits. But also, I, I think this scheme sounds, the £10,000 insurance policy sounds pretty reasonable to me. But again, you've got the same problem that People who are earning will be paying for it. And yet people who have, you know, who live in council flats, the ones who don't obviously have to sell their home under the current circumstances, they're still going to get it all for free. So I think there's, a, there's just a basic inequality there that we're never going to get around, that we have to find a way to fund it. Uh, I mean, I went through all this with my parents and, you know, it, in, in lots of countries, they part, the government part pays for your care. But even Australia stopped doing that because it's just prohibitively expensive. And we just got to face it. When we're too old to do this show, Simon, in 25 years' time, we are probably going to need someone to look after us. Someone said 25 weeks, not 25 years. In fact. <laughs> but I think the, the, the other part of this that, that fascinates me is the, is the politics of it, because yeah. uh, Boris Johnson has, has talked about solving social care before, but he's usually said that um, they want to come up with an all-party solution, so, to, so to, to rope in Keir Starmer and the Labour Party. And you can understand that, because the, the dangers for Johnson are is that whatever he comes up with is called a dementia tax, much better for him politically to get Labour involved. But, you know, politics being politics, if I were Keir Starmer, I'd probably want to keep my distance. So Just stay away. Let, it, let him create his own mess. Whatever they do, it's going to cost money and people are going to completely hate it. And I, I would lay you a small wager here, Simon, that 
by the time the next election comes, Boris still would not have found a solution to this. This is the bullet every politician wants to dodge. Well, so far, we haven't actually had to dodge any real bullets from China, but the, but the political bullets coming our way from China are increasing in velocity. The Chinese uh, high-tech company Huawei, which is delivering this new 4 or 5G to, to Britain, the threats of the Chinese in Hong Kong, China's increasingly aggressive diplomatic stance all over the world. It's starting to terrify people, I think, all over the world. And um, this is another one of Damien Green's passions. He's been, he's been warning about this for several years. And I think his words about us facing a new Cold War only now with China as the, quotes enemy, rather than the Soviet Union is starting to ring true, isn't it, Amanda? Yeah, and I look, I feel, I have always felt completely uneasy about Huawei and 5G. I mean, crikey. It's just like, you know, this is an aggressive nation. They, it's not democratic. You know, they're the last people that you want to be getting into bed with, um, effectively putting, you know, what could be, you know, their own spy system into our network. And, you know, they're talking, Boris is talking about, uh, you know, offering up a solution to these rebel Tory MPs, including Damien, that, you know, by 2029, that they'll pull it out. They'll pull 5G out of print. No, that's too late. That's 10 years. That's mm. just, just crazy. It's got to come out now. But it's I got, think, it's got it- to cop the costs we've got so many costs now you know the government's going to is just you know drowning in debt why not drown a bit more but don't you feel you you for our national security yeah you can almost feel this this sea change coming about in, in the last year or so the rise of china i mean 10 15 years ago we rarely discussed china in this country but now it it it, it looms larger and larger in our lives and and also in our, in our economy it's there and in, in diplomatic relations we're talking about china all the time and mm-hmm. i think it's an issue it's an issue which has crept us on slowly and there are more and more people saying openly now that china's uh, the sole aim of china and the communist party is to dominate the world it's a question of what we can do about it and of course i don't know what your thoughts are about these these disclosures recently but the, the chinese have been wooing a number of members of the british establishment who seem to have been signed up for uh, chinese-run think tanks and companies it, it's another example of their creeping influence here isn't it yeah it's a bit of woo wahing, isn't it you know the pain oh people. i like that woo <laughs> Uh, they're paying, you know, former diplomats, former politicians, huge amounts of money to basically be mouthpieces for them. Look, I just think that people feel increasingly uncomfortable about it. And, and the way they've behaved over Hong Kong um, just shows how completely ruthless and aggressive they can be. And that's basically their own people. You know, uh, I don't think they can be trusted. And if it costs us financially, uh, well, so be it. I don't want Wu Wa's wooing over my house. Um, but, their satellites and their and their what do you call those little spy planes? So, so your main Chinese takeaway is that you agree with Damien. <laughs> I do agree with Damien. <laughs> the only thing I'll keep is the Chinese. I love a bit of sweet and sour chicken. <gasps> Yum! Have some of that now. You can have a slab of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well that's that's our our usual dysfunctional end to the political (laughs) chat of the week. Amanda, well, I've got my topical tunes sorted, but as ever, you're going to try and pip me, trump me, whatever word you want to use. Over to you. 
Um, I think I've got a pretty good record of that. And you can, um, you have to tell me while I'm singing it what the song's called. It's, and in the light of all these jobs, you know, getting everybody lovely jobs now. Have, you, st have you started singing yet? No, shut up. Oh, sorry, carry on. <laughs> it's a canned heat song. Okay. Together we stand, divided we fall. Come on now, people, let's get on the ball and work let's together. Work Come on, come on, let's work together. Now, now, people, because together we will stand, every boy, girl, woman, and a man. Oh, what a great song that was. Can <laughs> he, the, the, brilliant, the brilliant big bear of a man, Bob Hype. Bob Hype, Hype, I think the lead singer. Fantastic song. He's still singing in discos to this day. I'm glad you liked it, Simon. Yeah. Okay, my song is, uh, it has to be, Money for Nothing, uh, Dire Straits from their uh, 1985 album, Brothers in Arms. And, well, the, the theme is pretty obvious. Some people would say that the, the amount of money that Rishi Sunak's been doling out is money for nothing. Obviously, much needed and deserved to prop up the economy and people's jobs. But... Um, there's going to have to be a reckoning. But the, I think the, reason, the lyrics in the song appeal to me because this is what Rishi would like everyone to do. As the song said, we've got to install microwave ovens, custom kitchen deliveries. <laughs> we've got to move these refrigerators. We've got to move those colour TVs. Colour TVs. <laughs> he wants people to go. If you buy all those, the economy might just get going. That ain't working. That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on MTV That ain't working That's the way you do it Money for nothing And you chase for free Money for nothing And you chase for free Romeo and Juliet's my favourite from that album. Yeah, it's more romantic, but that's not going to get the economy going. Love and, love and kisses. <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget, you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other Mail Plus radio podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Okay, <laughs> is that me now? Okay, and join us next week for more political chat and yummy cheese stories. But for now, that's all from me, Simon Walters. And from me, Amanda Platel. Un, deux, trois. Goodbye. Goodbye. I think we actually got it on cue then. First time. First time.